Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from that timely underscore moments. Right, guys, I know I've been slacking uh, because it's the end of January, um, but obviously um, I wanted to wish you guys a happy new year, despite the fact that it's clearly very late. Um, however, I've done it just in time for Chinese New Year, so actually I can get away with it. So happy Chinese New Year. This year is the year of the tiger. Maybe if you want to go celebrate that, you know, go to the local Chinatown and uh, get some dragon dancing in and some Chinese food, um, because I'm probably going to try and do that just for the sake of doing it. Um, but anyway, either way, guys, I hope you had a good Christmas break. I hope that uh, the new year so far has been good to you all. Um, and this episode is um, originally it was actually meant to be a 2022 predictions episode in terms of like what kind of watches uh, we uh, could expect or trends that we could expect. And obviously, if there's any watches um, that we may like to see being released, um, along with a summary of 2021. Uh, that's obviously going to get pushed now to the next episode. Reason for that is because my guest who was going to come on um effectively hit the ground running when uh the week that we were going to record and then was rammed the week afterwards uh just through work and life so still going to go ahead with that episode it will obviously be in february now um however i still think it'd be a good episode to look at because i don't think um we've ever summarized like watches that we liked of a year on the zulu time podcast before and i think that's the quite an interesting topic to look at the kind of watches that we liked um out of those releases um and then also looking forward to the rest of 2022 um before we get into a few of the other little announcements um that i've got um, obviously going to do a wristwatch check. The majority of this episode, guys, is in fact just uh, one announcement and then loads of um, closing notes, really, um, mainly because I've also been busy on my course. But anyway, so my wristwatch check that I've got on today is a vintage 1940s dated uh, army timepiece, actually. So I don't know if it's just the last few months, but just before Christmas, I, met, I went to the Birmingham Watch and Clock Fair a couple of times. And um, it's a bit of an interesting environment, shall we say. Um, effectively, it's held in the National Motorbike Museum or Motorcycle Museum. And it's um, effectively a load of stalls um, of various levels, shall we say, it's the best way to describe it, selling all things to do with watches, clocks, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's held. I think quarterly um, and they have an Instagram I'll put it in the show notes and effectively loads of set sellers and vendors turn up predominantly with vintage watches um, and obviously all pre-owned watches um, basically to sell and trade um, and I went um, at the back end of last year and I went uh, earlier in January um, and I managed to pick up a couple of ATP watches so if you listen back to the historical episodes that me and Darren did at the beginning of the Zulu Time podcast, we spoke about um, obviously the issued watches to the British Army and the first load of those watches were the ATP watches. So like I said, the army 
trade pattern or the army timepiece watches, depending on what you want to call them. But effectively, they were um, little 29 to 33 millimeter white dialed slash silver dialed uh, watches with 15 jaw movements that effectively um, the British military bought as effectively war stock directly from about 18 manufacturers across in Switzerland um, in 1939 into 1940. Uh, the one that I've got on my wrist at the moment is in fact a 29 millimeter SEMA. Uh, and I think actually it's one of the nicest vintage watches I've ever owned, to be fair. Um, it's on a, an original period correct bone clip strap, which is, gives it a very unique look, but it's actually very comfortable, which is quite cool. Uh, and it just adds to that vintage appeal in terms of obviously it's aesthetic. The uh, model I've got um, has patinaed really well. Uh, you'll see, obviously, I've been posting it quite a lot fairly recently in the last couple of weeks. Um, but what's interesting is that it's got obviously uh, no loom crack in the hands or nothing missing in that terms of that. And it's just got a very cool uh, patina to it. Um, it's a solid steel case as well which is quite unusual for some of those watches a lot of them were chromed brass with stainless steel backs um and then what you'll find as well is um, there are various iterations of these watches made by the same company so for example as we know vertex uh slash review at the time um they uh produced two versions the caliber 57 and the caliber 59 atp watches and obviously as we know um, in the Dirty Dozen, there is a caliber 59 vertex. So obviously it shows you that these movements and these watches obviously were developed a little bit longer. And obviously they were just, you know, deemed good enough for military stock. But what's interesting is uh, the SEMA was not only the smallest case size at 29 mil, but it was one of the very few in the ATP range that was only ever produced in a stainless steel case. Uh, and then another interesting point on it is I didn't realize this until I did some further geeky uh, research on it because I just didn't know a lot about the SEMA ATP. It was also one of the very few that um, in the movement actually had shock resistance on the balance. Um, a lot of the movements actually had a fixed balance. Um, so the jewel in the balance effectively can't move. So if it, you do subject it to a really bad shock, there is a, you know, a possibility, depending on how forceful that shock is or what that, you know, could have done, um, is that it will actually break the pivot points in the balance. And obviously that's never good because that basically breaks your watch. So it's one of the few um, ATPs that has a shock resisting balance, which is quite cool. Anyway, um, you'd have seen it on the page. I've been wearing it a lot. This exact example runs a little bit slow, but then again, I guess for something that is around 82 years old, can't you can forgive it for being a little bit slow. But to be honest, it still runs within the original specs of the watches. So when the watches were requested or bought from the MOD, uh, by the MOD, sorry, um, from the companies, they actually were to be within... Uh, plus or minus 30 seconds and even at 82 years later this thing is still within uh that tolerance which is really interesting it just shows you how well some of these things were made back then uh but either way um my aim for these atp watches i don't think i'll uh you know attempt to collect all of them because there's like 18 different companies and there's that is a lot of watches and obviously finding them in good condition is hard um but definitely for the ones that i've got um my plan is 
to get them serviced this year. Um, I've got, like I said, the SEMA, I've got a review caliber 57 as well, which I picked up via that watch fair. Then I get that service because it needs a new crystal and that way you can actually see the dial um, a lot better. Um, and then I've also got a T-more as well, um, which um, is actually looks to be in pristine condition, uh, which is pretty cool. And that was my first ATP. Um, the only other watch news that I've got in regard to myself is look out next week. Um, I'm getting in, I'm involved in another special project, which I'm going to announce in the stories um, and on um, the Timely Moments page. And that goes live in terms of its expression of interest anyway um, from Monday. So look out for that. Um, if you do know anyone who is eligible for that project, obviously um, would appreciate a share um, of that project because, um, you know, every little helps. It might be something that is obviously uh, interesting to people that you know. So that'd be really cool. Um, I've got nothing else really to update you in terms of the podcast. Like I said, the episode that was originally going to air to, uh, this weekend that will get pushed into February. Um, so look forward to that predictions and summary episode, as it were. Um, so I'm going to move on to sh closing notes. I've got one. I've got five or five closing notes because um, I've already spoken about the Birmingham Watch Fair, uh, but it'll go in the show notes anyway. But uh, I've got five other closing notes. So the first thing is a YouTube channel. It's called Wristwatch Revival. Um, I've been watching that because it came up on my. Um, you know, uh, searched kind of a suggestions because of the vintage ATP research that I've been doing. Um, and effectively, it's a guy who buys broken watches off eBay. And he is a hobbyist horologist and watchmaker, you know, I guess. And he's kind of self-taught himself how to fix his watches. But he's actually got quite a following. He's got all the proper equipment to do it. And what he does is effectively he videos him stripping and these watches down and cleaning them and replacing the parts and rebuilding them to get them running again. Um, and it's just one of those very therapeutic kind of videos channels where you get to see a lot of what he does um, and the way he comes across as he does it. He explains it really well in layman's terms. So if you've never really opened up one of your own watches, and I know for a fact, I haven't, I've only really opened the case back and had a look in and, you know, looked at basic things. But if you ever actually want to get into um, watchmaking, you know, and fixing watches and just taking them apart, just to understand how they work, he's a really good channel because he also, not only does he show you loads of different movements from pocket watches and wrist watches, um, he also goes through um, the kind of tools that you'll need and at what level in terms of price cost to you, uh, a basic tool is compared to something that's slightly more upmarket and he, you know, goes through the pros and cons, but it actually is quite interesting to um, kind of, like I said, more importantly, just to watch it. So yeah, check out the wrist watch revival. Um, another uh, link that I've been looking at, and I think I'm probably going to commit to one uh, in the end of March is I like a fountain pen. So I'm a bit weird. Um, when I get the chance to write with a fountain pen, I'll always write with a fountain pen. I think that's because of when I grew up in primary school, we were forced to write in fountain pen. And I guess the idea was that it improved our handwriting. Um, but Schofield watches, um, so Giles over at Schofield watches, and I've met him a couple of times through um, the Divers Watches event, the, um, the one in London at World Time. Uh, 
really cool bloke. Um, not what you'd expect of a watchmaker or designer or any of that kind of stuff. Just a very cool guy. Um, and he's got some really cool watches. He also runs a podcast called the Six Pips Podcast, which is actually a link on his website. Um, but the thing that I really like at the moment on his website is his fountain pens. So he has a proper story about these fountain pens on his website. So I won't ruin it for you. But if you like sci-fi and you like 2001 A Space Odyssey, you'll probably really appreciate the design behind his fountain pens. Um, so yeah, go check those out. And I've also been told, if I remember rightly, by him at the last uh, World Time event, that he's looking at um, effectively having the ability to interchange um, the fountain pen element of the pens for ballpoints as well. So effectively you could buy them as a kit and you can have the fountain pen and the ballpoint or you can buy the bits to change them over at a later date if you wanted to. Um, the last three closing notes I've got is a Netflix film, which I watched this week called Munich, The Edge of War. And it follows um, effectively Neville Chamberlain's um, events or the events that Neville Chamberlain undertook effectively to um, prolong the outbreak of war in 1939 uh, which is very interesting it's got some very good actors in it um, so that was quite an interesting um, film and also there is a bit in there um, about uh, there's a watch in, in in the film as well which is used as a, a plot device which is quite interesting there's a quite a few funny lines around it uh, which I wasn't expecting and it kind of added uh, a little bit of humour into a, quite a serious film um, so yeah go check that out that's on uh, Netflix at the moment um, finally I've got two shout outs so uh, shout out to AJ over at the Bellingham podcast over in the Pacific Northwest I know that you probably already follow him and, you know, you hear me talk about him a lot and obviously you've heard, heard our joint episodes as well on e, on both our channels. Um, but he's just done an interesting interview under his Analog Explorer podcast. So it's on both the Bellingham podcast and the Analog Explorer podcast um, because it's more watch related. But he's actually just done an interesting uh, interview uh, episode with um, Matt uh, who runs Aries watches. So if you're into that kind of stuff and small American micro brands, as it were, uh, go check that out. I found it a very interesting episode. And then final bit is uh, I want to shout out to Legion Taylor. So again, on my page, you would have seen it. I've put up a few product photos of this. Um, he sent me a watch folder for better expression, for want of better expression. It's a watch and strap holder and it's in the shape of a a folder uh, it's hard cased as well so it offers some protection but effectively it's um a, effectively like a book really you unzip it you open it up and it's got slots for six watch heads and the ability using um mollied elastic to hold um your watch straps as well and watch tools um so go check out uh legion taylor for that because I think as an option to hold your watches in, because I think it offers a little bit more protection uh, to your watches because it is hard cased. Um, and it also, I was thinking about it, it also still offers the ability for you when you are traveling to you know, carry a load of straps, all your tools and six watches. But more importantly, 
um, similar to a watch roll, when you get to wherever your destination is and you want to change your straps or you want to, you know, look after your watches or whatever, it offers a platform that is reasonably clean and obviously quite, you know, um, soft that, you know, it won't, you know, it's not like you're bouncing your crystals off like, you know, hotel desks and stuff like that when you're changing your watch strap. So, you know, it offers a platform effectively for you to um, conduct your watch strap changes or anything to do with your watches while you're traveling. Um, it is a little bit bulkier than a watch roll, obviously, because of what it is, but it's flat. So therefore, you know, the way I see it is it could just slide down a day sack um, or slide down like, you know, the inside of a laptop um bag as well messenger bag so i think it's a good option but yeah go check out um legion taylor for his new uh watch strap and watch head folder um until next time guys uh obviously take care uh enjoy your watching watch adventures and all that kind of stuff and uh look forward to the next episode where obviously um i should be going through 2022 predictions and a summary of the watch releases of 2021 Take care. Bye.